Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders, all set within and beyond the West End. Fixated on becoming a serial killer, the jury were asked whether Daniel Gonzalez was bad or mad, as although he was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic, One question remained. Was he crying out for help? Or was he abusing his diagnosis to avoid prison? Murder Mile is researched using authentic sources. It contains moments of satire, shock and grisly details. And as a dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds. So that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 136, Daniel Gonzalez, The Lost Boy, Part 2. Today, I'm standing on Tottenham High Road in North London, N15 six miles north of Tottenham Court Road tube station, where Daniel Gonzalez was arrested, 76 miles northeast of the stabbing of Peter King, 59 miles north of the death of Marie Harding, and a few miles east of the attacks on Kumis Costantiano in Hornsey and Derek and Jean Robinson in Highgate Hill. Coming very soon to Murder Mile. Currently, At 336 High Road sits a vague six-story brown brick block of flats perched at the ludicrously busy junction of the A10 and Monument Way. So for anyone seeking something affordable, near the tube and a few thousand takeaways in an area which was the epicenter of the London riots, and you love waking up to the soothing roar of trucks and falling asleep to the subtle wail of sirens, by now. Back in 2004, this was the Rosen Crown, 
a public house which stood on the site in various incarnations for hundreds of years. And for its last century, it was a familiar hub for fans of Tottenham Hotspur. Ran by 46-year-old Kevin Malloy, this was not just his work, but his home, his life and his love. Kevin was the last landlord of the Rosen Crown pub, as having gone out of business with the land sold to a developer, seeing his years of hard work boarded up and ready for demolition. That night, after a few pints, he would say a fond goodbye to his pub, never knowing that this farewell would be his last. Prior to this moment, the two men had never met. But to Daniel, Kevin was not a person, he was a number. One more victim on his list to secure his place in serial killer infamy. As it was here, just before the dawn on Friday the 17th of September 2004, that Kevin Malloy was murdered. But was it the voices which drove Daniel to kill? Or was his diagnosis an excuse for his crimes? Detective Chief Inspector Dave Cobb would later state, Daniel wanted to be a famous serial killer, but he did not want to accept responsibility for what he had done. He was clever and manipulative. Clever and manipulative. Two words which defined Daniel. Even his own mother would describe him as he was extremely intelligent, but extremely disruptive. He could be absolutely charming, but also very manipulative. Upon his arrest, Daniel confessed, both in person and in his diary. The murders of which he euphorically detailed with a chilling lack of remorse. It felt really, really, really good. One of the best things I've ever done in my life. At his trial, Daniel pleaded guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. In his defence, he claimed that he was a schizophrenic and that the voices in his head told him to kill. But the prosecution refuted this. We suggest that Daniel Gonzalez is a psychopath who killed because of the cold, callous person that he is. It is his personality that led him to kill. Daniel was in control of himself at the time of the killing, and he killed because he wanted to kill for his own pleasure. It was very clear that Daniel was clever and manipulative from a very early age, as although he'd been expelled from school, this chess champion went on to pass eight GCSEs. And like many bright children, he lacked social skills and often stood out as different. Age nine, his mother said, he came downstairs with his arms at the side of his head, saying, Mum, I cannot carry my head. It is too big. But was this just a child with an overactive imagination? 
Or was he learning to use his difference as an excuse for his bad behavior? Key to Daniel's defense was his diagnosis as a paranoid schizophrenic. But this was never clear cut, as his illness was atypical and the lack of acute episodes or consistent symptoms made any diagnosis difficult. So difficult that in 1993, age 13, his school's educational psychologist diagnosed him with dysgraphia, a writing difficulty. And further mental health assessments listed illicit drug misuse, evidence of psychosis, and probably a personality disorder owing to large doses of ketamine and LSD, which are responsible for his current state of mild psychosis. But not schizophrenia. Between 1998 and 1999, Daniel was sectioned three times after physical violence towards himself and verbal threats to others. One of many psychiatrists would state, I felt that he was probably psychotic, but I didn't think that he was sectionable because of his lucidity and his lack of delusions. And yet, it was only during his sectioning at the Oak Tree Psychiatric Clinic that Daniel was first listed as a paranoid schizophrenic. After that, every subsequent doctor agreed with this analysis, prescribed the appropriate medication for that mental health condition, and no other options were considered. But did the experts get it right? Or did they resort to default? With a school counsellor diagnosing it as a learning difficulty, a drugs counsellor as a drug-induced psychosis, and a psychiatrist as schizophrenia. Or had Daniel manipulated these professionals into seeing the symptoms that he wanted them to see? There was no denying that Daniel Gonzalez was clever and manipulative. But how clever and how manipulative? The prosecution would state... He was in control of himself at the time of the killing because he wanted to kill for his own pleasure. Almost everything Daniel had done up to that point was his decision. I will be a serial killer. Those were his words. Only nothing in his past forewarns of this. There was no arson, cruelty or sadism. He wasn't abused and was rarely violent towards others. Even his own mother couldn't predict it. I didn't know something was going to happen, but I was scared. A Northwest Surrey Mental Health Partnership would declare that, as the murders were not preceded by a history of violence, therefore we do not believe that his actions could have been predicted. But if he was predisposed to murder, surely someone would have seen something. I took drugs because they made me feel good. Again, his words. As to alleviate his boredom and to temper his mood, he abused cannabis, LSD, ecstasy, cocaine, ketamine and amphetamines. He put his trust 
in illicit, untested street drugs, whose psychotropic effects, given prolonged exposure, can remain for days, weeks, and even months. But it was Daniel who made the decision to come off his prescribed medications for schizophrenia. I wanted to be Freddy Krueger for the day. Again, his words. And every aspect of these attacks were chosen by him to cement his place in infamy. Everything from the mask to the knives and to his movements. The way he stalked, stabbed and slashed, just like his horror heroes. It may also be the reason that his killing spree stopped in such a specific place as Platform 4 on the Tottenham Court Road tube. But all of this was Daniel's decision, as he didn't just want to be famous, he wanted to be immortal. And finally, to have proper care, you need a doctor to follow your path. If I were seeing someone two or three times a week, at least that's something. Again, his words. But treatment is a two-way street, and not only did he reject his medication, but he regularly missed his appointments, missing 3 out of 18 with his GP, 9 out of 16 with psychiatrists, 11 out of 24 with the CMHT, the community mental health team, and 13 out of 26 whilst on probation. Does Daniel have to murder or be murdered before he can get the treatment he so badly needs? His mother repeatedly pleaded. But was this lack of consistent care also down to his apathy, his paranoia? Or was it a deliberate ploy to stop any expert from seeing his diagnosis as a convenient excuse to kill? Just how clever and manipulative was Daniel Gonzalez? Was all of this a ruse? Or was it real? Fourteenth of April, nineteen ninety-nine. Discharged from Oak Tree Psychiatric Clinic, Daniel returned home to live with his mother and her partner. Over the next five years, his care was inconsistent, and his drug intake weaved between the controlled use of prescription medications and the abuse of street drugs, which made him angry, euphoric, calm, paranoid, and delusional. In March 2000, following a series of arguments with his exasperated mother, Daniel became homeless. His psychiatrist would later state, his mother had ejected him, quite understandably, and he was living with friends, no doubt in a state of hand-to-mouth chaos, which made his care so inconsistent. On the 25th of April 2000, Daniel was arrested for burglary and street robbery. He was remanded at HMP Reading and was later sentenced to two years at Dover Young Offenders Institution. Given his mental health history, a pre-sentencing report was conducted by Dr. Ward Lawrence, who observed that the prisoner had no current symptoms of mental illness. But he also stated 
that Daniel had admitted to manipulating the symptoms of his illness in an attempt to avoid being sent to prison. Released on the 30th of April 2001, Daniel returned home. He was held under a six-month probation order and seen as an outpatient, Dr. Lawrence confirmed his diagnosis that Daniel showed no signs of mental illness. And a probation officer even commented that Daniel was just a silly little boy. He's fine. Unable to live at home, on and off between January 2001 and November 2002, Daniel bunked on friends' sofas. He slept rough on the street and bedded in homeless hostels. But if Daniel really wanted to be a serial killer, why didn't he start his killing spree then, when he was off the grid, invisible and anonymous? In November 2002 and April 2003, Daniel was arrested for shoplifting and was placed on a six-month community rehabilitation order. Again, he was not charged with GBH, ABH, cruelty, or any violent or sadistic crimes, as you would expect from a wannabe serial killer. Instead, he was stealing, like a homeless man fighting his hunger, or a drug addict feeding his habit. On the 26th of October 2003, Daniel wrote a letter to his GP. It read, I really do need help now. I've tried to cope on my own, like a normal human being, but I've not managed to succeed. I really need to receive treatment under the care of doctors before my mental state gets worse. Please, please help me. This is very urgent. I'm in a desperate situation. For whatever reasons, Daniel never posted that letter, but his mother did. The GP referred him to a hospital, but he was never treated. The report later called this a missed opportunity. Across the following year, Daniel did improve. He tried his best to give up drugs. He stayed at home. He kept out of trouble. And one of the last doctors he saw said that he was doing well without medication. On the 21st of July 2004, a locum at Bridgewell House, a psychiatric facility in Woking, sent a letter to Daniel's GP. In it, he described Daniel's words, mood and appearance as only okay, all right or fine. But no concerns were raised and his patient was scheduled to be reviewed in two months' time. That was Daniel's last psychiatric appointment. Two months later, four people were murdered. Wednesday the 15th of September 2004 Day 1 Victim 1 Peter King at Hillsea Lines and Victim 2 
Marie Harding at Highdown. But only the failed attack had an eyewitness. So when Daniel fled, Peter heard him shout, Sorry, I'm a schizophrenic. I can't help it. But was this the truth spoken by his voices? A clever excuse to avoid prison? Or a bit of both? It took two days to plan. Those were his words. But what aspect of the murders did Daniel plan? His victims were random, the locations were remote, and the dates were insignificant. If all he cared about was numbers, I wanted to kill as many people as possible. Why didn't he kill on a busy city street, in a packed supermarket, or somewhere closer to home, like Woking, Knapp Hill, or Southwood Avenue? If all he cared about was murder, this is something I live for. It's a really good buzz. Killing. Why didn't he buy his own knives? rather than borrowing his mum's steak knives from the kitchen drawer. But maybe it wasn't the murders he was planning, but his legacy as a serial killer. Consider these pieces of irrefutable evidence. The hockey mask. He wore it as a disguise only once, during Marie Harding's murder, but at every other attack, his face and identity were exposed. Afterwards, he didn't destroy or clean the mask. Instead, it remained in his bedroom, covered in his victim's DNA. The diary. Better than any confession the police could have attained. This was a handwritten journal, using his words, in which he detailed his movements and motives during the murders. The diary was neither hidden nor destroyed. Gloves. He could have, but he didn't wear any, which is why his fingerprints were found on the knife he dropped at Hillsea Lines. And as for wearing discreet clothing to hide his size, his shape, or his identity, instead, he wore a pair of blue jeans, a set of white trainers, and a distinctive blue and white Honda motorcycle jacket. So maybe Daniel didn't plan anything. Maybe these random acts of violence were truly the chaos of a schizophrenic mind guided by voices and disinhibited by drugs. As put forward by his defence. Thursday the 16th of September 2004 Day 2 Victim 3 Tired from a sleep in his stabbings on the south coast and a 140 mile journey the second phase of Daniel's killing spree would be unleashed somewhere a little more local At 3pm he called the Woking train to London Waterloo he travelled on the Northern Line through Tottenham Court Road, and at 4.26pm, CCTV captured him handing in his black rucksack into the left luggage kiosk at King's Cross Station. In his bag, police would later find a set of clothes and a handwritten note, which read, 
I will be a serial killer. I'm going to make sure I get to London and I will kill as many old Bill as I can. As best as I can. But was this note deliberately planted to cement his serial killer legacy? And if this killing spree was planned, why did he travel to King's Cross when there was a left luggage kiosk at Waterloo? At 7pm, wanting to inflict greater wounds upon his impending victims, Daniel entered the kitchenware department at John Lewis on Oxford Street, where he stole two eight-inch knives. But again, this makes very little sense. As why steal them? They're not illegal, he had money, and the store had good security. Between 8pm and 11pm, he visited several unidentified pubs in and around Soho, where he sat alone and drank by himself. If he had come here to kill, why did he wait so long? Was he building his confidence, dulling his senses, or was he waiting for instructions to kill from the voices inside his head? From 11pm to 2am, Disinhibited by a cocktail of alcohol and drugs, Daniel went to an unspecified rave or nightclub. But again, although this venue was dark, busy and chaotic, the perfect location to kill as many people as possible, as many as ten, or maybe even hundreds, he left with no one hurt. At his trial, the prosecution would state, on leaving the last venue, he had decided to kill again. Being in the West End, even on a weekday at 2am, the bustling squares and dark alleys provided this wannabe serial killer with a wealth of murderous opportunities. Spaces which were rammed, hidden or remote, with limitless victims ranging from stupefied crowds to amorous couples to lone drunks. But again, whether his logic was warped by drugs or guided by irrational voices, he left Soho, hopped on a bus at Charing Cross Road, sat quietly for an hour and got off at Seven Sisters. An odd choice, as being a small bubble of cafes surrounded by residential houses, every shop was shut, every street was desolate, and the A10 Tottenham High Road, which runs right through it, was fully covered by cameras. At 4am, Daniel was captured on CCTV as he wandered up the high road towards the Rose and Crown pub. Forty-six-year-old Irishman Kevin Malloy was well-liked and well-respected. Blessed with a cheeky grin and a silver tongue, this gentle giant actively avoided confrontations. But as an experienced landlord of a Spurs supporters pub, this big lad knew how to handle himself and how to deal with drunks and thugs. That year had been a bad year for Kevin. His pub, the Rose and Crown at 336 High Road, was once the staple of football fixtures a decent pub for a pint, 
and a bit of a boogie in its club called Randolph's and Charlie Brown's. But now, having gone out of business, it was boarded up and ready for demolition. With nothing left, being fed up, Kevin was planning to move back to Ireland to live with his mum. That night, just like old times, Kevin sat with his pal, the landlord of the Swan at 363 High Road, a pub barely 80 feet away and directly opposite what remained of the Rosen Crown pub. And there, the two men sat together. They sang a few jars, they sang a few songs, and said a fond farewell to Kevin's old life. As he had many times before, at about 4.30am, Kevin left the Swan and staggered towards his old pub. The street was wide, quiet, but well lit, as this big lad headed home. Only Daniel was watching. With his heart pounding, an eight-inch knife in his sweaty palm, and the drip, drip, drip of what he had repeatedly claimed were four sinister voices splitting his head like water torture. Daniel entered the empty path, as from behind, he stalked, was silent, and then he struck. I just run up to him, I popped him, and I stabbed him up. I had to flipping murder someone by then. I had to get someone done. All these thoughts were coming into my head. So I just went, do, 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 and just kind of jabbed him about three, four, five, six, seven times in the stomach. Attacked from behind, Kevin stood no chance, as the stabbing was fast and frenetic. With no defensive wounds, multiple injuries to his face, chest and stomach, he slit Kevin's throat and left him for dead. With his second kill complete and another number notched on his scorecard, Daniel was halfway to serial killer infamy. But just like a coward, he panicked, he fled, and he dumped the knives in the local park. At 5.40am, one hour later, Kevin Malloy was found and taken to a hospital. But he died on arrival. His interview held at Hoban Police Station was described as surreal. As given the gravity of his crimes, he had every legal right to state no comment to every question. But instead, he gave a very detailed confession as his mood swung from orgasmic to boastful and joyous to distraught. Sometimes, he openly bragged about the killings, describing it as one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Other times, he broke down in tears showing genuine remorse for his victims. I stuck it in all the way. It was such a long knife. There was no chance for the poor guy. No chance. One time, 
while supping soft drinks and scoffing jelly babies like a little lost boy. He was heard to whine with self-pity. I'm a little boy. I didn't feel very well. Only to laugh as he recounted the details of the killings. Describing the murder of Kevin Malloy, Daniel joked, He was just some bloke walking down the road, and I pulled a knife out and stabbed him. As I was stabbing him, he said, What the hell are you doing? So I said to him, Are you stupid? I'm killing you. And I killed him. When asked why he killed Kevin, Daniel replied, His face started winding me up. I had to do it because I wouldn't be able to think properly otherwise. At that time, the voices in my head were just really bad. Which is why his criminal trial at the Old Bailey focused on one key question. Was Daniel Gonzalez bad or mad? But was Daniel so mentally unwell he was unable to control himself at the time of the killings? Or was this just a cunning and manipulative ploy to cement his serial killer credentials and to avoid a prison sentence? Nobody knew, but one thing was for certain. Two people were dead and more killings were to come. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. That was part two of four of Daniel Gonzalez, The Lost Boy. As always, if you enjoyed that episode, stay tuned after the break for more slurping of tea, waffling about crap, munching on cake, and drooling over Eva. Obviously. A big thank you to my new Patreon supporters, who are Alicia Palmer, Karen Starkey, Pamela Williams, Leona Darcy, Sue Richards, Mandy Brooks, Wendy C, and Padda Maguire. I thank you, and I send you lots of big kisses. There you go. And don't worry, I've had my jabs. Plus a thank you to everyone who has added some lovely five-star reviews of Murder Mile on your regular podcast platform. I enjoy reading all of them, and they are all very much appreciated. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello everyone, welcome to Extra Mile. I hear that there was me pretending to do one of my normal, uh, oh, that was exhausting, but I actually did that about 20 minutes ago, uh, only because I got to this point and I realised I hadn't done the questions for the quiz. I'd written, I put my little box there saying, Michael, don't forget to do the questions, but I hadn't actually done the questions. Why? Because everything's all up in the air at the moment. Uh, this is not normally a Thursday morning when I'm recording. I'm trying to get myself ahead of the game, and this is Wednesday afternoon, and I thought to myself, do you know what, Michael, you've written the script, you've rewritten it, you've done a bit of a polish, why not just record it? And do you know what, it wasn't too bad, it wasn't too bad, so uh, let me go and, oh, should I just make a cup of tea? Yes, let's make a cup of tea, because that is tradition, isn't it? I'm going to get rid of this little, uh, my little soundproof hood, I'm going to go and make a cup of tea, uh, and we can all do this. So uh, oh, I did actually make myself a little bit of a peppermint tea, um, but what I realised halfway through, let's open up the windows and all that shit, um, what I realised halfway through is that peppermint really dries out your mouth. Um, it really makes, like, it, it makes it all go, and I, fa- I found that I was struggling to say words, uh, which is not, which I, happens a lot with me. Um, I was struggling a lot during that, so uh, I just stuck to water. So it'd be nice to have a nice cuppa now, a nice cup of tea, maybe some Yorkshire tea. That'd be nice. Uh, not the biscuit one. Haven't quite got that at the moment, but, you know, good stuff. There we go. So this is all very exciting. Um, because because I'm, I'm ahead, I haven't got a cake. I haven't got a cake. Uh, it was only while I was out, I thought, bollocks, Mike, you should really just record it today. And that saves me time tomorrow. So that's what that's what I've done. So, yeah, uh, that's great. This saves me hours. So hopefully I can I can do all the edit on Thursday and Friday and move the boat, which I've got to do tomorrow. Yes, Michael, that's all good. I might go and buy some beers later on as well. Ooh, exciting. Ooh. Anyway, uh, so this is all, all very exciting. The reason I made these changes is, uh, as some of you may or may not know, I posted this on social media the other day. Um, at the end of this year, so December 12th, 2021, yeah, whatever we're in right now, I'm going to be drawing the walking tours to a close. So Murder Mile walking tours will be coming to an end. Not the podcast, podcast remains. Walking tours are coming to an end. Been on my mind for many years. I've, I've, I've been doing this since 2014. 
2014 yeah must be uh i've been doing the the tour since then it's always been on my mind every year it wasn't something i planned to keep doing forever i've never in my life ever imagined that i'd be in tourism it's not it's not it wasn't even on my top 100 list of things to do but i enjoyed it i've i've had fun you know it's nice it, it got me out of my funk i was in a depressive funk at the start it forced me to meet people. It forced me to write stuff. It really, it really was a lifesaver. But it's never been my plan to, to always be there. Um, uh, and lockdown has helped me focus my mind. Um, it, it was nice to go and see my dad. I realised I hadn't seen him for such a long time. And a big, bigger chunk of that is because of the tours. It, it, it holds me in London. Uh, but also going to see him. You know, I, I saw that he. Obviously, I've aged, but he's aged as well. And I realised that time is slipping by. You know, he's getting older. He's more infirm. I didn't get to see as much of my mum as I wanted to and my gran. Uh, and I, I, I re started rethinking stuff. And I thought to myself, do you know what? The only thing that holds me in London is the tours. Is having to be in the tours on Sunday morning. Which I enjoy. But I thought, if I do get rid of them, that's actually, do you know... I, I, it was nice to see other parts of the country and I, do you know what I've got a boat I live on the boat it's my home what's the point in having a boat if you can't go off exploring so um, I could have shut down the tours now in Covid but a lot of people have got vouchers and you know it's uh, I'd rather people use the vouchers so uh, and some people still want to have never been on the tour and still want to do it so I'm doing tours up until the 12th of December and then it's done it's over it's done no more no private tours I'm just going to do the regular ones that I'm doing and then it's all shut down and then in January February I do my research for the podcast as always and then I fo I disappear off into the country and the idea is um the great thing about the podcast is I can do it anywhere I don't need to be in town I'll come back to town I'm just checking on my tea because it's about to brew there we go uh pop that in there lovely jubbly there let that stew yeah the great thing about the podcast is i don't need to be in london for it it's like once all the research is done like january february i do all the research at the archives do the bulk of the research and the rest i kind of work out over the year uh filming the the, the locations taking the pictures stuff like that and checking it out it doesn't take a lot of time i can pretty much do a bulk of them in a day uh and the idea is you know tour around the country the canal's always near a train line hop on a train when i need to come back to london here is all my here is my doctor my eye specialist do you know my dentist is here all my friends are here you know so pop back when i need to cheapy hotel which i did the other night it was 30 quid and it was a really nice hotel thank you uh premier hub very nice really good hotels really enjoyed that uh got to stay with some friends uh this means i can also have some fun go out drinking not worry about being hung over sunday morning which is good and you know so that the podcast can continue and so i've changed the times on when i record now so if i can if i can work a bit faster and more efficiently with the writing i can record on wednesday afternoons which means i'm ready to start editing thursday friday which is great which means hopefully by the time the tours go i'll be able to have a full weekend first proper full weekend in years so i'll be able to have saturdays and sundays off which would be lovely so it's not sad times that the 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 walks are going um i just felt it had it served its purpose it's using up a little bit too much time that i need to i know some people will say you but you the tours in the last two hours but don't forget i don't live in london 
so half most of the time i don't live in the center so it's like a couple of hours to get into town then i've got to prep make sure the route's okay then i do the tour then i do the social media afterwards and it takes normally an hour to two hours to get home or as it did last weekend it took almost five hours to get home so pretty much sundays is blown out i can't do anything else after that so uh yeah just be it's it's done its purpose so uh yep tours last until uh going on now until the end of the year and then they're done no private tours so don't ask um so that's that that's all very exciting all change here but the idea is i can do other stuff uh which will keep me entertained i can work on new projects because i think the tours are fine but i think i was just get just getting a bit bored of doing them uh so yeah that's that anyway let's crack into some questions uh the quiz questions which i've only just written because i panicked and i didn't realize that i hadn't done the quiz questions uh so they're there they're relatively easy i'll be honest because i hadn't got time to really plan them uh, and then we'll dive into some extra stuff in the episode so for get ready everyone don't forget i haven't edited the episode yet that you've just heard that's the edited version this is the unedited version so I may frick up these questions. So, uh, or I might edit them out as I did last week in the question to do with Daniel's uh, doing A-levels in what subjects. It was drama and Spanish, but I edited that out because it became irrelevant. Right, question number one. Um, uh, What did Daniel eat and drink in the police station when he was arrested? Question two. What police station was Daniel taken to? Ooh. Maybe he saw Police Constable Arsenal Guinness there. Or should I say, Temporary Police Sergeant Arsenal Guinness. <laughs> applause, everyone. Applause. Yes. He's gone posh in the world now. Uh, <laughs> congratulations, sir. Well earned. Uh, question number three. Uh, what train station did Daniel leave his bag at at left luggage? That almost made sense. What train station did Daniel leave his bag at at left luggage? Question four. Daniel got a B. Uh, Daniel got a rehabilitate. Daniel got a CRO, a community rehabilitation order for what offence? Question five. Where did Daniel get a bus to Tottenham? I hope I'm being clear about this in this episode because it's really hard because obviously the first episode starts at Tottenham Court Road Tube Station and the second one starts in Tottenham. And Tottenham Court Road Tube Station and Tottenham are two very different places so I've tried to make it very clear on that. Tottenham Court Road has nothing to do with Tottenham. (sighs) Very frustrating. Uh, But then again, Oxford Street has nothing to do with Oxford except the fact that it's facing in the direction of Oxford and the A40 heads to Oxford question six uh the rose and crown was home to which football team supporters so which football team which football supporters which team uh drank at the rose and crown pub that's a pretty easy one question seven where did daniel steal steal the kitchen knives what shop question eight what color was daniel's jacket and what was written on the jacket Question nine. Daniel was on remand at which prison? And question ten. Daniel was sent to which Young Offenders Institute? I'm going to grab my tea and I'm going to put uh, my fake milk in it. Yummy, yummy, yum face. There we go. Nice cup of tea. And even though I haven't got... uh, Oh, I'm going to use my, uh, my tea strainer. 
There we go. Um, Papa, Papa, Papa. I'm just having a bag tea today. Just a regular bag tea. I'm kind of not ready to do a, a proper loose leaf tea today. I'm just being lazy today because of stuff and things. Uh, I haven't got a cake, obviously, but I do have a Kit Kat. Ooh, look at that. Only 104, 104 calories. Great. Except when you have uh, five like I do. Yeah, big fat bastard. Right, let's crack into some extra stuff in the episode. Who's making noise outside? They need to shut up. Uh, <laughs> people, people. Right. Uh, uh, I don't think I used a full quote on this, but uh, Detective Chief Inspector Dave Cobb is the quote I used right at the start of the show. He said that Daniel Gonzalez wanted to be remembered for being a famous killer, serial killer. Um, but I hope he has forgotten and that uh, that we only remember the victims. Uh, very true. He added, uh, he admitted that he was an individual intent on killing, but he was clever and manipulative and did not want to accept, accept responsibility for what he had done, uh, which is the whole point of this episode. So I hope you're enjoying the way I'm trying to restructure these episodes. Instead of just telling you, uh, like, like the Blackout Ripper, I just told it in a very kind of um, straightforward uh, narrative way this is kind of i'm deliberately jumping around and kind of the, the the murders are being done in the correct order but everything else is kind of back and forth back and forth because what i'm trying to do is is focus on uh well this one is about you know asking the question is he is he clever and manipulative or is he really mentally ill and that's the question so hopefully that's what kind of what you uh, you might enjoy with this one is everything that we set in the groundwork on last week saying this is what happened he was diagnosed with this and that now we're going back to it and we're rethinking everything so uh everything's up in the air everything that you thought was bad in the last episode uh, like oh didn't the doctors do a terrible job now it's kind of like oh, hang on did the doctors do a terrible job or is it daniel who's manipulating them or what what is going on um as i mean we'll do more on the trial when we get there but as mentioned, Daniel didn't admit to murder, which is what he was ultimately charged with. He admitted to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. Uh, and throughout, he kept saying that he was a schizophrenic and that there were voices in his head. So this is everything that we're picking apart here. Um, as with the... Uh, the, the this is what the defence went with, but the prosecution said no this is everything was daniel's choice everything was his choice the drugs that he took the 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 decisions that he made the route that he took the kind of the the the, the things that he left behind like using the mask using the knives you know everything he wrote in his diary everything is designed around kind of him him being a uh, hopefully a future serial killer which is what he wanted to kind of get that prestige that's what it's really about and um as with this episode you know he, he he said about it, 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 it took him two days to plan and, you know, it was all planned. But when you think about it, the victims are, are very disparate, very random. The the locations, yeah, they're remote. Yes, he picked places where they were isolated and he wouldn't be seen. Um, but it doesn't make sense. You know, you can do that. You can do that in a, in a major city. You know, you could find a remote place. He Look, he was in, he was in a city in 2 a.m. on a weekday. You telling me he couldn't have found someone to kill 
in in a major city then he couldn't have found somewhere where there wasn't cctv instead he went all the way up north to tottenham uh where no one literally no one was there i've uh, do you know what? i've i've moored up not too far away from tottenham sometimes uh god help me and i've come home back in the middle of the night and i've got off the bus at seven sisters and then had to walk to the canal down monument way to get there and it's so i, I know what it's like at 2 a.m it's remote it can be pretty scary but there's lots of lights and there's lots of TV, cctv and the and the road is really wide it's wide and expansive and pretty much all you have there is just a constant flow of buses because it's kind of an interchange for the buses but uh, uh, most of the time the tubes aren't tubes kind of shut about uh about midnight so uh yeah it's not it's an odd point oh yeah what else did we have so yeah this was kind of a weird patch for daniel he'd gone th- he'd obviously he'd, he'd been sectioned quite a few times but kind of between 1999 and then 2004 when the murders happened he's he, he's going in and out of care and he's trying to use kind of uh his his medication to kind of help himself it, it, again it's still he's uh getting uh abnormal uh tonic of the muscles which is kind of you know a muscle rigidity um He's getting muscle contractions, twisting, jerking. It's kind of, you know, it's it's really unpleasant for him. A lot of people who are on kind of uh, uh, antipsychotic drugs suffer with mu- muscle spasms, abnormal move- movements and postures. So that's why he's kind of on and off these drugs. It, it, it's quite a common thing, trying to find the right drug that's right for the right person. Uh, but obviously, you know, street he would take street drugs because uh, uh, obviously he didn't have that kind, kind of cocooning symptoms that the the antipsychotics would would uh would give him uh he was homeless for a long period of time as you can appreciate he was um um him and his mother weren't getting on well his mum his mum had obviously throughout as we've seen in episode one had really tried her best uh she's really trying to get him all the support that she can but really what's she gonna do he's He's on a serious mental decline. Um, they have a lot of arguments together. You know, sometimes she just needs him to to leave and go elsewhere. Sometimes he voluntarily leaves and goes elsewhere. She gets very little help from mental health services. Um, during this point, he was. Um, this is not one of the questions, so I can say this. Uh, he was charged with burglary and street robbery. We don't know a huge amount about that. But uh, he uh, then had a two-year prison sentence for that. I'm not going to say where that's one of the questions well done michael you're doing such a great job thank you you're welcome um uh as mentioned before so this is this is what i find really fascinating is quite often when people uh on podcasts or tv shows or something like that they will always say oh the doctor has said that this person has been diagnosed with this but as we can see that you can you can see this like people always get become obsessed with kind of like uh forensic pathologists there's a couple of famous ones on telly and people seem to lap up what they say and every time they open their mouth they go oh yeah thank you thank you or oh i agree with you you're such a genius right but any professional any medical professional especially if you were to give them a series of symptoms they wouldn't all come up with the same theory. They would they would come up with, especially with mental health. Mental health is, is impossible because it's not like a broken leg. You can't walk into a hospital and see someone with a broken leg and go, well, you can. And you go, well, it's a broken leg. If it's inside someone's head, you've got to rely on what they're saying, what they what you, you can perceive. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really difficult, which is why... There's no, even though one doctor after a couple of years had managed to say, you know, this is uh, paranoid schizophrenia, 
is it paranoid schizophrenia? Just because one doctor says it is and, and the ones after him followed that, is it actually paranoid schizophrenia? He struggled on the medication. Sometimes it made him better. But as they say, sometimes he was better off the medication. Sometimes he was better when he was on street drugs. Mental health isn't consistent. You know, it, it depends on the person. It depends on the mood. It waves all over the shop. So it's it's really hard to, to pin down what he's about, what he isn't about. He may have had multiple mental health problems. We, we had the same with mum. That mum, no one, Everyone kept giving different diagnoses for mum because... The problem was she didn't just have one problem. She had multiple problems. And, you know, we had, we had some good people sometimes. And what they would do is they'd kind of balance out her medication depending on which which illness they thought was coming in at this point and which one was going out. And that's that's what most of the other doctors couldn't understand. But some of the some of the specialists were kind of like, you know, they, they were able to pick up on it. But it's, you know, you've got to find the right doctor. You've got to find the right medication. It's a mental health is really difficult to, to get right. You know, as I said, it's not it's not a broken leg. A broken leg is a broken leg. Uh, what else we got? Uh, I'm just going through here. Yeah, um, homeless multiple times. We don't really have a lot of details on kind of uh, even even in the the uh, inquest into uh, Daniel's care. There's not really a lot of details in there about where he was homeless, uh, the pubs he stayed in, kind of uh, the day before the killings of of uh, Kevin. That's not in there. Do you know, there's lots of details that uh, I would love to dive in. Unfortunately, I can't. Um, you know, newspapers are incredibly vague around this because they don't know anything and they don't do any research anyway. As I've said before, literally newspapers, all they do is they get the uh, release from either Reuters or AP Wire and basically they look at it and they go, OK, uh, they copy out everything onto a page and then they flesh it out with the shite that they found on Wikipedia. On Wikipedia or, or they go, a source said, and that means Twitter. Lazy bastards. Absolute lazy bastards. Um, well, let's see. Let's, uh, let's not go into that. Um, let's do this. The two letters. So I briefly went over this in, in the episode, but I didn't want to use the whole letter because it's, it's, it's longer than I needed it to be. You know, you, the last thing you need is me reading out a whole letter to you in a podcast, which weirdly is what I'm about to do now. Oh, should I? I'm going to have my Kit Kat before I tuck into this. So this was the 26th of October 2003. So 11 months before the killings. Kit Kat time. A little bit of a snap of a Kit Kat. If, if you're not familiar with Kit Kats, it is uh, uh, it's like a wafer biscuit with, I think it's got like a caramel filling in the centre and on the outside is a thick chocolate, which is very nice, made by Nestle. Even though Nestle steal uh, milk from uh, uh, babies, that's fine, we don't want to go into that. Um, <laughs> um, very nice Kit Kat. And sometimes, if you get lucky, you get a ballsed up one. And when you open it up, it's just pure chocolate, which is brilliant. Mm. Oh, no, it's good. Um, so, mm, eating with, talk with my mouth full. Um, 26th of October 2003, so 11 months before the murders. Daniel, oh, he was on holiday in Spain at the time because uh, his parents thought it might be nice for him to go and see his grandmother over in Spain for about three months, which he did. Uh, that was also one of the times where he was off street drugs, but he was on... Uh, he's drugs for schizophrenia and he was really struggling on that this is the problem with this as as mentioned he's sometimes when he's on his schizophrenia drugs they're working sometimes they're not working sometimes the street drugs work sometimes they're not working sometimes he can do without all drugs and he's doing well and then he 
doesn't do well. Do you know, the body adjusts all the time. The body is not consistent, which is why it's, you know, sometimes you've got to manage the drugs in a, a kind of very, very specific way. So this letter written to his GP uh, said, I really do need help now. I've tried to cope on my own like a normal human being without help or medication, and I have not managed to succeed. I was admitted to hospital in 1998 under Section 37 of the Mental Health Act. I do not want this to happen again, uh, so I really need to go to hospital voluntarily and to receive treatment under the care of doctors before my mental state gets worse. Please, please, please help me. This is very urgent. I really, really do need medical help to find the right environment and the right medication. It's very true, you know, it's... It, he needs to be in a place that he can feel safe and you know if things flip out he can just you know there's doctors there to kind of sort out everything for him um i need to take this in a controlled hospital environment please can you help me i would really appreciate it if you would help me help me improve as i am in a desperate situation um now this was kind of difficult it's kind of um he didn't put the note forward to his doctor. We don't know why. His mum and his grand found the note, so they sent it to his doctor. His doctor put the note forward to the hospital. But it seems to have all gone a bit ballsed up then. It's like over the next... It, it's like what he wanted was to be admitted to hospital, to have a bed there, and to be kind of committed there voluntarily so he could get the help. But what they offered him was outpatient, which is basically, you, you know, already what he was doing. He was kind of turning up, seeing a doctor like every so often, every couple of months or so, you know, having a bit of a chat and then writing a letter. And he's just like, he was like, that's not what I want. You know, I, I want I want something consistent. Um, uh, so unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um this was the letter that uh, was briefly mentioned in there. 20, 21st of July 2004, uh, the locum at the outpatient centre at Bridgewell House. So this was this was one of, if not the, last psychiatric uh, evaluation that Daniel had. This was about two months before the murders. Uh, this was sent to his uh, GP, Dr Hendy. And it says, uh, I saw Mr Gonzalez in the outpatient clinic at Bridgewell House on the 20th of July to 2004. He attended with his grandmother. Mr Gonzalez, he's, he's written Mr Gonzamis. Oh, doctors. Uh, it's not even handwriting. He actually typed this. Mr Gonzalez was reluctant to, to walk, um, answering questions with the minimum of words, mostly with OK. This is where I said he's basically just abbreviated a lot of it. Uh, he said his appetite was okay, his weight was okay, his concentration was okay, sleep was all right. He told me he was on no medication and that he does not need help. However, when I reminded him uh, about help with housing, he said yes, because he's kind of going through a period of being homeless at the moment, at that moment. Uh, he told me he spends his time watching TV and that he sometimes goes out to the gym. His grandmother told me that sometimes things are quite difficult. He had low motivation and that currently he is unable to live independently, uh, which was uh, what his carers said uh, at the start. Uh, she also told me that he will shortly be going to live with his grandmother in Spain, as mentioned, for three weeks. Uh, this is to give his mother some respite. Mr. Gonzalez and his grandmother asked me about the results of the CT scan he had two weeks ago. I haven't put that in the episode because we don't know too much about that. But after checking through the notes, I, I told them the results were still awaited. They appear to know the results. I have arranged for Mr. Gonzalez to be reviewed in about two months' time. 
two months time was when he committed the murders um uh, now the author of the report uh, i was going to put this in but i changed my mind at the last minute uh the the inquest uh was kind of the report into daniel's uh mental health care uh, she suggested that some of the professionals had actually run out of ha- ideas of how to help, which is true. You can only kind of do so much, but um, you know, they kind of re- really didn't know what to what to do with Daniel. Uh, she said staff would say, "Yes, we will see him, but what on earth are we going to do?" Uh, she also said uh, this was a case where things went wrong early on and did not recover. Overall, Mr. Gonzalez was not treated successfully. We cannot say with certainty that he would uh, have been, but we can we can and do say that uh, the way he was treated was not likely to su- succeed and did not succeed. Uh, Daniel Gonzalez had nearly 60 appointments with doctors and psychiatrists over seven years. As mentioned, there was about half of them that he missed. Uh, a chunk, of, To be fair, a chunk of that was due to him being homeless as well. Um, also, a big chunk of it could have been down to his schizophrenia as well, or his drug drug abuse, or it could have been deliberate. We don't know. Uh, uh, as mentioned, also, uh, Leslie, his mother, also, if you remember, she wrote to the director of uh, Surrey Social Services saying, how, do you know, how many people, do you know, does he have to kill or be murdered before he before he gets the treatment he deserves uh leslie his mother also wrote to her local mp asking exactly the same uh, i don't know the outcome of that uh what else is there i don't want to overblow this one let's not do too much on this because I, do you know what i've still got two episodes to write and what i don't want to do you know sometimes i go cause with this episode especially i'm going back and forth back and forth because things i want you to kind of rethink everything nothing is nothing in the series is concrete so i don't want to kind of uh i don't want to l- ruin things in here uh, i can tell you a bit about kevin malloy uh hopefully he like kit kats um that's something for people who uh, enjoy listening to people munching. Kevin Malloy was 46 years old, uh, formerly from Ireland, described as a gentle giant. Um, everyone seemed to like him, seems like a nice guy. Uh, his pub was the Rose and Crown at 336 High Road in Tottenham. It's right at the, on the corner of um, um, the A10 and Monument Way. Immediately opposite, opposite that was the Swan, which was another pub as well, which was where his, his mate he was the landlord as well. Uh, unfortunately that pub closed down in 2007 and was demolished in 2004 um now we don't know the exact location of where the murder happened i've done a lot of searching uh it's not in any of the notes it uh, it all seems to be quite vague it really wasn't covered by the press they couldn't be asked uh i've done all my searches through pretty much everything i can find um, I do a lot of searches through kind of things like uh, Reuters and AP Wire and Getty, Getty Images sometimes is good and uh, Alame and you know all, anything to do with the press I kind of hunt out unfortunately uh, searches involving the words murder and Tottenham uh, brings up a lot of searches uh, unfortunately so uh, yeah I uh, and it was never really listed where it was but it was definitely on a pavement on the A10, somewhere between the Swan Pub and near the Rose and Crown, which is only about 80 feet away, so it can't have been too far away. There's a couple of uh, side alleys around there, but apparently uh, Kevin was found in the street. Um, he'd been lying there on the floor for probably about an hour, hour bleeding. Um, 
a few people had walked past him, but because he was collapsed on the floor, um, some people suggested that he may, they, they thought that he may have been a drunk. Don't forget, this is kind of an area where there is lots of pubs, lots of kind of uh, slightly illicit uh, late night bars. And you, you get a lot, unfortunately, you get a lot of drunks in, uh, in that area. It's not a nice place to hang out. So um, a lot of people probably would have seen him on the ground and thought, fine, it's a drunk. I'm just going to ignore him. So um, he was found between uh, 5.30 a.m. and 5.40, which was roughly around an hour later. Uh, he'd got multiple wounds to his face, his neck, his chest and his abdomen. Um, he was attacked from behind. So uh, it's likely that, his, uh, that he was stabbed in the back first as before, as with uh, Marie Harding. But they never really gave any real details about uh, his autopsy. Just kind of bits and pieces that I picked up. Uh, as before, Daniel fled. He wasn't, he wasn't, they saw him on CCTV walking up the road and they, they identified that he was near Kevin Malloy, but they don't have, they didn't have CCTV of the attack itself. This is not to say that Daniel was super clever and he found a location that was, uh, had no CCTV. It was just, you know, not all of it is covered. Um, he just kind of got lucky. Um, uh, after this, as mentioned, he, uh, he, he, he ran, he kind of panicked and then he dumped the knives, uh, are in an unidentified park nearby. I haven't quite found out which park that was, but that's fine. It's not really that important. Uh, and I think that's it. Let's not go into too much more about that. I think we've kind of done everything for that episode. Let's not ruin the, the rest, which I've still got to write. Core lummy. Right, let's do the uh, questions. This is weird, this being the afternoon and I'm recording, because normally at this point, now I'm thinking, oh shit, I've got so much so much editing to do. Now, I can literally, what time is it? Whoa, what time is it? I got, one of my phones is here. One of my phones, I sound like I'm a, I'm a, a businessman. It's 4.20, brilliant. I've got time to go to, I might go and get some beers, as mentioned. This is great. No, I got, I got... I needed a new phone because my old Samsung kept switching itself off because it's a piece of shit. Actually, it's all right. Uh, and I walked in, I got a new phone in O2, who were very good. They give me good deals. Thank you very much, O2. And they were like, uh, uh, here's the new posh phone. I was like, thank you very much. And they were like, do you want to trade in your old phone? I went, no, actually. What I'll do is, because uh, I'm always worried about going out and like getting you know, getting mugged and someone nicking your phone. If they nick your phone, they've got all your bank details. Or, or sometimes what they do, especially in uh, near the canal in Hackney, what they do is they get like a big group of you uh, around you and they mug you. And one group holds you at knife point and the other group grabs your phone and asks for your password. And then they change the settings on your bank thing so they can get the maximum amount of money out of your bank account so if you've got it set it to 100 they increase it to 500 and then they go to your bank account uh, and they hold you until you come back uh so uh, and i thought to myself do you know what i use my old phone as an uh, an iplayer iplayer uh, ipod yeah so I've, I've just got my old samsung which i've just done set back to factory settings because it kept resetting itself and now it's just my ipod so if someone comes and steals that i don't give a shit which is all very good. So well done, well done, me. So I'm, I, you can call me Jimmy Two Phones now. Right, let's do the answers to the questions. Which don't forget, I may have ballsed up. Oh, helicopter flying over. F it. Who cares? Uh, they seem to be doing a circuit today. Uh, they seem to be doing training, which is great. Uh, question number one. Let's do this. Question number one. What did Daniel eat and drink in the police station? 
he was given soft drinks and jelly beans. Question number two. What police station was Daniel taken to? He was taken to Hoban. And that's because, as police, uh, temporary police sergeant Arsenal Guinness uh, d knows and has informed me, a lot of the police stations have been shut down, unfortunately. Well, I know West End Central got shut down. I think Tottenham Court Road's shut down as well. They seem to be shutting down a lot. I don't know, don't know how many are left now. Uh, but then a little article came in the paper today saying that they're opening up uh, little hubs, little kind of portable hubs. Hmm, don't know about that. Anyway, uh, question number three. What train station did Daniel leave his bag at at left luggage? <laughs> That's a terribly written question. The answer was King's Cross Station. Question number four. Daniel got a community rehabilitation order for what offence? <coughs> it was shoplifting. Question number five. Where did Daniel get a bus from uh, to Tottenham? It was Charing Cross Road. Uh, question number six. Uh, the Rosen Crown uh, was home to which team of football supporters? It was Tottenham Hotspur. I can hear Police Constable Arsenal Guinness vomiting at just the sound of those dirty words. Question seven. Um, uh, where did Daniel steal the knives? It was John Lewis. Question eight. What colour was Daniel's jacket and what was written on it? The colours were blue and white and what was written on it was Honda. Ooh, exciting. Question nine. Daniel was on remand at which prison? HMP Reading. And final question, question number 10. Daniel was sent to which Young Offenders Institute? It was Dover, which was the same place that the, uh, the young men in the Trader and the Devil's Child were sent to. There you go. Whew, that was a, a long record, but I'm glad I did it. It's done. And now, now I can walk. And I, I can have a little bit of a walk. Mmm, that'd be nice. And then I'll come back and charge up later on, and I can finish watching Line of Duty. Whoa! I'm getting, I'm really getting into it. Really enjoying it. And normally, normally people say to me, oh, "You have to watch this." And normally it's like, oh, like it's just the same tired shit that everyone's watching, and they're watching it because their friends are watching it, and they want something to talk about because they're sad. Um, so normally I'll watch something that everyone forces me to watch and I just think, oh, it's shite. Line of Duty, I'm really enjoying it. It hooked me in early and uh, I'm, I'm on the final season now. So I would say don't spoil it for me, but by the time this episode goes out, I will have got to the finale, which I know everyone has told me is shite. Anyway, and I'm enjoying Staged with David Tennant and Michael Sheen. That's very good. Michael Sheen looks absolutely freaking nuts. Uh, but I've, I've enjoyed it. It's been a good series. So uh, that's me done. Hope you enjoyed that. We got three more parts to go uh, uh, and then we're done. And then the uh, rest of the season is pretty much one parters. So uh, anyway, hope you enjoyed that. Um, speak to you all soon. Have yourself a good week. Stay safe. Lots of love. Bye bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.